Well, Happy New Year, everyone. My name is Ben. Welcome to the first Sunday of the new year at Four Corners Church. As of right now, you have 100% attendance. You guys are killing it. You're doing great. Hey, I want to start off by giving you some incredible news. Like, um, I can't have a month ago imagined that I'd ever be able to stand here and share with you the news that I'm going to share with you, all right? You're going to love this. Uh, the staff and I have been jazzed about it. Uh, just to help you track with me, would you grab your message notes, uh, open them up, and uh, we're going to go not on, on the left side of the inside of the message notes. We're going to be on the right side for just a second. I have an update about our Christmas offering that is just phenomenal, just phenomenal. And um, like I, I, I wouldn't have laid money on the table betting that this was going to happen, but it did, all right? So at the top of that page, there's like four blanks. Um, there, it, one, one of the sets of blanks is next to the word actual. One of the sets of blanks is next to the word goal. You can see it there. Let me give you what the goal was, all right? The goal was 100% participation, and we wanted to raise $80,000 over the Christmas season through the end of January to help with basically five major projects. Uh, our work in India, our new work in Cuba, our work at the Hamilton Mission feeding uh, 35,000 meals uh, this year, our partnership with Seven Oaks Farms, in-house counseling, as well as some initiatives around here as well. And so if you're a regular attendee around here, you know, every year we do so well and God blesses it and people are gracious and kind and it blows us away. But typically we're about in January at this time, we need to usually to make up anywhere between a third to 40% of whatever it was we were trying to raise. So historically, I would be coming to you saying, hey, we're at about $60,000 and we need to raise you know, the final 25% or, or whatever. But that's not the case today. Um, let me give you the first one on the actual, all right? On the actual, our actual participation is just under 55%. So you could write 55%, which is actually historically low for us. Um, we'll talk about that. Right. The reason why we wanted to do 100% participation is, is if you call this church home, about 350 households call this church home. 350 addresses, if you will, call it. And so what we, what we do is we just take that number, and we take it against the number of households who have given, and we've come up with about 55%. Uh, and so we want people to participate because it's your church, and these are our initiatives. And as you hear what God's doing, um, you know, so typically I come up and I say, hey, guys, you know, if you call this home, give something, even if it's just five bucks. And that really is what I'm saying to you today. Uh, but that's not all I'm saying to you today. Uh, if you look at the actual income received as of about Monday of this week, we're at $97,000. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. So what I want to do is I want to tell you um, just how amazing uh, you guys are and how faithful you have been to be generous. And so our initial projects are funded, which is awesome. When you did this last year, it has enabled us to do the construction we're doing. And this week, we expect to start laying pipe in the ground. And you'll see the other walls going up. And so that's moving along. And we don't have to keep going to the congregation for money because you are generous and you fund those kinds of projects. This year, you invested in those 40 young ladies in India. And we built some foundation work for the boys' home. And our money this year now will go to help that. And so all year long, these ministries will be funded. But I wanted to take just a moment before I jump into a very simple but profound, I hope for you, message and tell, we, tell you what we're going to do with the excess. Um, there were some initiatives that we were hoping to do that as we made our budget for 2018, we decided we would put them off. And maybe a quarter 
at the end of the first quarter or possibly at the end of the second quarter, we'd see how we were doing and maybe we'd pull those uh, initiatives off the shelf and bring them forward and get them done. But because of the generosity of you guys, we're able to actually accelerate that. Uh, and I wanted to just celebrate that with you for just a moment. So if you're our guest, uh, know that you're around generous people who care deeply about the work God's doing in this place. If you call this church home, um, well done, well done. Here's what we're going to do. There are two big categories of initiatives that the excess money is going to go into. Right? So the first one is what, we don't have a title for it yet. Um, we think this is going to happen somewhere right after Easter. But we're creating a special place for special kids. Uh, over the years, uh, for 13 years now that we've been a church, from time to time a family or a person from the community will come into this church and their child is enabled in such a way that the typical environment we have for kids doesn't match them. It's either too kinetic, there's too much activity, or it's too noisy, or it requires a certain level of mental development that isn't appropriate for that particular kid. And so for families who have a child who doesn't typically track with the norm, uh, this can be challenging to find a church to attend. And we've had a difficult time addressing that just because of our size. We haven't had the scope of ministry to be able to like drill down very deeply into that challenge with those families that we care deeply about. So what we've done historically is we'll find a person or two and they'll kind of give special one-on-one -on -one attention and try to help that child uh, acclimate to the environment that we have, but it's always been a challenge. So over the last year, Sabrina, who is our awesome children's pastor, she's an amazing lady and, a, uh, and just a heart for God and for our kids, she's been chatting with me and with our leadership team about her heart to see this thing move forward. And well, we can, we can kind of do some of that now. So what we're going to do is we're going to pilot a program and see how it goes. And so this is where I need your grace because we're not 100% sure that this is going to be 100% successful. We're 100% sure that we're going to give it 100% effort to make it successful, but we just don't know. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start in first service somewhere right around Easter time with a particular room dedicated for kids who have a different kind of sensory need than kids who typically enjoy our normal ministry on Sunday morning. And this will be a place for kids who have identified challenges or just kids who are struggling in our environment to go with, with a little less kinetic energy, a, a little less noise, a little less uh, gross motor skill engagement with lots of adults who love them and they can go into that space their parents can come in here and be ministered to. Their siblings can go to our other spaces. And they can go into that space and have appropriate attention for where they are. And there's some language in your program that will tell you the three ways we're going to try to minister to them. And it's a really big deal. And we are thrilled to be able to begin moving forward. The, the overage of our Christmas offering will help take care of that. And here's, here's the need. There's some space issues. It's a couple thousand bucks. But then there's some training issues. Now, we're not willing to do this kind of ministry haphazardly or just from a good heart. We're well past the size where a good heart alone is what's required to do ministry. We're well past that in almost every environment. You have to have a good heart, but you also have to have good skill, heart and hands, skill and a, a softness towards you. And so there's some training that needs to happen for a, for a few of our leaders and for some volunteers that are going to step up. And that actually is quite expensive to get up to speed quickly. And we don't want to learn from a lot of mistakes. We want to go with 
to where people have done this very well, and we want to learn from their mistakes, and we want to do it well. So we're going to take some of the money and affect the room and affect the training and bring that experience somewhere around Easter. And I'm really excited for you to hear more about that next week. All right, here's the second major thing we're going to do. We're going to spend some significant effort doubling down on safety and security at 4C. Now, more than most churches you've attended, we pay attention to that. Like, we're well ahead of the curve. But the news of late has been interesting. And so um, we're trying to stay ahead of the challenges, both the real challenges and the perceived challenges. When we talk about safety and security, a lot of things go under that umbrella. A lot of times my mind goes straight to news stories I've heard. But everything from, like, let's say a kid were to pull a fire alarm, um, what would we do? How would we evacuate the building? You know, that kind of stuff. So we have plans in place. All that's identified. Um, even if you don't know that, our kids' team particularly and others, all that stuff's done. But we're going to double down and get more clear on that sort of thing. And some of the principles that are going to guide us are outlined for you on that piece of paper. One is we're not driven by fear, but we know we live in a broken world. And so since we're not simply helpless, we're going to bring some best practices to our safety and security environment. And next week, you're going to meet a new staff member who part of his job, actually a small part, he has a full plate, but a small but significant part of his job will be leading this initiative for us. You're going to meet him. In fact, you saw him in the video earlier. His name is Joseph, and uh, you're going to really enjoy he and his wife, Whitney, and their twin girls just turned one year old. You're going to love them. I know you're going to make them feel welcomed. But he's going to help us in this initiative. And here's some things practically you're going to see, for instance, in the space. Um, one is um, if you have a child in any one of our uh, preschool or elementary rooms, you're going to be able to see what's happening in that room at every minute of, of their time there. So imagine a guest coming into our space and they're nervous about dropping off their kids. Imagine the trust that has to be given to do that. Well, once a, a parent drops off their kid, has the safety bar, with, passes the security guard, they'll be able to walk out and look at a monitor, and if they want to stand there the entire service, they'll be able to see everything that that kid is doing in that classroom the entire time. Transparency, transparency, transparency builds trust. And so that's going to happen. In fact, every single space in this room, other than this adult room, you'll be able, wherever there's a child, be able to watch what's going on. And so if you have a guest and you want to help them, like, get their kid checked in, you can do that. And then you can say to them as you're walking them to the classroom, oh, see these televisions right here? Well, your kid's going in the grasshopper room. See that TV right there labeled grasshopper? You can watch your kid the entire time. We're going to dramatically kick up the amount of visibility and transparency around here. We, around here, the, uh, the parking lot is uh, a place where we have some greeters and, and uh, some attendants, and they help a bit, but we're going to pour some energy on that space as well, and we're going to bring those people into the safety and security team and equip them with some uh, tools, some radios, and that sort of thing, and we're going to send a dramatic number of our children's team and our security team towards, again, some training and development. We're trying to make sure that we can keep our doors as wide open as possible, even in a world that has fallen and broken. And we want you to be able to come in here and lift up your eyes and face forward without being afraid and having to worry about safety issues. And we want you to be able to say to your guests, your friends, you come to this church, they believe in family. And we're going to do whatever we can to make sure that people can be focused on Jesus, on the Word of God, and on the love of this place, and not whatever else goofy stuff might be happening in and around us. And to do that, we're going to get very prepared. 
This overage from our Christmas offering is going to pay for those initiatives and the training that goes with that. And I'm going to tell you more about it next week. And so what we've done is we've moved the goal line. So like we could be done, and, and, and if we're done, if this is all the Lord wants us to have, uh, we'll figure out a way to be happy with it. But when we laid down all of our initiatives, what we thought we would do is ask, could we close the gap between 55% participation and 100? Could we at least get close? Could we move that bar to the right a little bit? And if we can, could we shoot for, since we're at 97, could we shoot for maybe 120? And 120,000 would pay for all those initiatives now. Now, if not, we're still going to do the initiatives. We're just going to have to space them out over time, get to them by the end of the year. We're going to try to work them into our budget. But if so, they get fully funded. And so next week, I'll share with you kind of the breakdown of how that goes. And you'll see a significant portion of it is towards development and training. Again, we don't want just good hearts. We want good hearts and wise, proven techniques and strategies and systems. And to do that, to get up to speed quickly, it's going to cost us. So your generosity has allowed us as a staff team to dream deeply about how to make this place as welcoming and secure, emotionally and physically safe for people to explore what God has for them. And I am blown away by your generosity. So after Christmas Eve, Eve service, we had uh, a 1,000 people in our building, few people made commitments to Christ. We had a bunch of first and second time guests. And I went home and pastors often hit the dip after moments like that. And I did on Christmas Eve, man, I was just in a bit of a foul mood. Like, ah, we should have had more people and we should have raised more money. And I didn't have all the data. And so about Tuesday or about two days after Christmas, rather, I got the, the report and I was like, oh my gosh, I have no faith. I have no faith. At all. I clearly don't trust the Lord and what the Lord's doing. But I tried to. So what we're going to do is that. Now, if you've given, thank you. You don't feel like you have to give more. If you haven't and you call this church home, seriously, even like a $5 gift. And so for me, if we like barely cross 100, but we're at like 85, 90% participation, I'm going to feel like that's a really great showing for our congregation to be a part of this thing together in unity. Of course, if we hit the 120, then I can set all that money aside and we'll fund those initiatives right away. I mean, aggressively. And as that's happening, we expect that our space will be done about Easter. We'll be able to roll out of here in April with some incredible newness and life and you're going to enjoy it. And the one big thing I need to ask from you outside of making it happen through your giving, these things all imply change. And for some of you, when I said change, you felt a, a twinge. Like you're like, I hate change. I and mean, it's okay. We have to make some changes. I'm just asking for your patience. And you're always welcome to send emails and ask questions and that sort of thing. And we'll engage you as best we can. All right? Well, that's my news. Thank you so much. You'll meet Joseph and some of the other leadership next week. But right now, would you turn in your message notes to the left side of the page? And there is a typo there. It says Luke chapter 15. We're actually in John chapter 15. I typed that. Totally my fault. It's right on the screens. It's wrong in your notes. Cross out Luke. Put John. We're going to park in John chapter 15. And I want to walk you through one of, one of the lessons the Lord has taught me about nine times. Uh, he taught me that, this lesson this year. And I want to share it with you to bring you hope and encouragement. I'm, I'm going to show you something about the heart of your heavenly father that is so good for you. And yet when you're going through the process that I'm going to describe for you here, it doesn't sometimes feel so awesome. But if you understand what God's doing, it'll give you a perspective. It'll widen your scope. It'll keep you from being so myopic. You'll be able to see down the road what God is doing. And I think it might help you enjoy the journey a little bit more.
God has had to teach me this principle from John chapter 15 over and over and over again. And it's not because I'm slow or, or because I'm uh, unwilling necessarily, although I've been both of those things. It's because no matter what season of life you're in, there's still room for you to grow. No matter how old you are in Christ, there's room for you to develop. In fact, as long as you're breathing, God wants to grow you and develop you and mature you and mold you more into the image of his son. And so what happens is even if you kind of conquer the challenges of the season you've been in, well, you're about to enter a new season. And the challenges of that season will require different kinds of engagement from you than the previous one. Now, this is a biblical concept. It's also just wisdom. So much so that some of you are into leadership, you know, books and kind of, you know, you follow the business gurus, that sort of thing. There was a, a pretty famous book a few years ago titled this way. It's a great principle. What got you here won't get you there. It's a good title for a book. What got you here won't get you there. What got me to the place of standing in front of an altar with my wife, with our friends and family and an audience looking at each other saying I do, what got us there that level of maturity and engagement wouldn't be enough to sustain us as we started having kids and stepping into ministry together. Now, some of those things we carried forward. I always say to people when I'm doing a wedding ceremony, hey, <laughs> you know, you spend a lot of time and energy and money on each other to get here. You dated a lot. So keep dating, right? Because you can carry a lot of that. But mine and Jill's dating after our marriage looked different. It required a different kind of engagement, Right? We started a new year, and it's just a day. But it's a great time to think about what season that you're in. In John chapter 15, there's a set of principles, a, a truth that is going to be discussed that I think brings a certain amount of energy when you understand it. And it helps you to cooperate with it. And it's all along a metaphor, the metaphor of pruning. Now, Often when Jesus talked to his audience, a very agrarian society, uh, he used very earthy kinds of things. Um, you know, he talked about seed a lot. He, he, he talked a lot about, you know, trees. And in this particular passage, he's going to talk about the process of pruning. Now, I'm not a gardener. I had a plant in my office, got it a few months ago, and Jill and I were in there yesterday, and she's like, your plant's dead. I'm like, eh, I forgot I had a plant. I'm clearly not good at this stuff, right? But in Jesus' day, people were very connected to the ground. And so when he would describe these kinds of horticultural principles, it resonated. It's like they could see it quickly. Sometimes we have to kind of recreate it. But some of you have a green thumb. And the principles I'm going to talk about are deeply spiritual, but they're also just practical if you're a gardener. So they tell me, for instance, if you want great rose bushes, that from time to time you have to prune them. Here's why. Because rose bushes will grow more roses, they'll produce more uh, stems and leaves and roses than the plant itself can adequately supply. It's like an overabundance. That's what they'll do. So what a, a good roser person does, I don't mean know what they're called, but person who grows roses, what they'll do is they will prune from time to time. In fact, you can go on YouTube and you can find all these videos on how to prune roses. And so they take these very bushy bushes and they go in and they start snipping. And there's all kinds of mechanical ways that it happened, but the principle is very simple. If you don't prune 
the rose bush, then the roses that do come in won't have all the nutrients they need to thrive. You'll have lackluster roses. You may have an abundance, but they won't last as long. They'll spring up and then they'll go away. It'll be a mangled mass of twisty vines with thorns and some color. But if you want a beautiful bush that flourishes sometime in the late winter, you can do it even in the early winter, you go in and you start cutting away. Now, how you cut matters and where you cut matters and you cut at a 45 degree angle so that the water runs down and doesn't create rot on the plant and you save all the little blooms that are facing out so that all the new growth goes out of the plant and it doesn't go back in. I mean, there's some things you can do, but the principle is without pruning, it doesn't work well. And Jesus picks up on that exact metaphor in John chapter 15. Let me read for you the passage. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, as we talk about this process of pruning, the first thing to keep in mind is Jesus says that if you're in him, great things can happen. And apart from him, nothing can happen. When I talk to you about this process, I'm not talking to you about something that you do on your own. This is a part of what the Bible describes as an abiding process. We're with him. We're connected to him. He's doing it as much as we're allowing it. And we're participating as much as he directs us. So there's this partnership thing in our development that God is committed to. Did you know that? As you start a new year, did you know that God is committed to your development? That he loves you just as you are, but he loves you too much to keep you there. So it's a new year, we're seven days in, and some of you made promises at the end of the year, in the beginning of the year, end of 2017, first of 2018, and seven days in, you've already broken them, and I, I get that. In fact, I'm going to share with you a principle today in pruning that I think may actually give you energy to some of the promises you made to yourself. But apart from that, no matter what you committed to, your heavenly Father will this year take you through a growth and development process. He'll at least give you an opportunity to do it. Whether you ask him to or not, it's just what he does because he loves us. And he sees in us, typically, greater potential than we see in ourselves. He thinks higher of us, typically, than we think of ourselves. And he knows us so that when he takes us on a development path, what he directs for us is good for us, it's productive for us, it's helpful for us, but sometimes it's not always enjoyable in the in-between, right? So the first verse we read, pick back up where we were. If you do not remain in me, you are like branch, like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now this week, you may want to read the whole chapter because of the first half of the chapter, uh, going from verse 1 all the way through about verse 15, talks about this pruning process. And there are a couple things that become apparent here. 
One of the things that becomes apparent in the pruning process is, is that when God puts you on a development plan, when he begins to prune things out of your life, it proves to you that you're in his family. And the Bible tells us in other places that God chastens or he disciplines those that he loves. This is a lesson that Jill and I had to learn in our early parenting. We had to learn that it wasn't loving to let our kids get everything that they want. And it wasn't loving letting them throw a fit until they got what they required or needed. There was actually a loving discipline that wasn't about our inconvenience or our embarrassment or our work. It was for their development. And to not discipline our kids was to actually not love them very well. That we would, instead of raising up mature, ready kids, able to engage their world in a helpful way, contribute to society, and be fulfilled as they do it. If we didn't discipline them, we'd raise up very selfish and lazy kids who believe the world owed them everything. And we didn't want to love our kids that way. So what we had to do is go through a process where, honestly, the words of my dad would ring in my ears. And I thought I'd never say this, but here we go. This hurts me. More than it hurts you. I never believed the man one time when he said it when I was a teenager. In fact, when I was a teenager, I agree a lot with Mark Twain. When I was about 17, I couldn't believe how unintelligent my father was. And when I was 27, I couldn't believe how smart the man got in the last decade. It was pretty incredible the way that happened. Right? My perspective shifted. When you're on the receiving end of the discipline, on the pruning, it's not always fun. But it's the part of your heavenly father where his love for you is on greatest display. You know that when he's pruning you, for instance, that the good he's going to do in you comes out of his love for you. And it's not meant for your harm, but it's meant to increase your harvest. Now, I don't know all your goals for this year, but my hunch is you have a handful of things you'd like to see better this year than last year. For some of you, maybe you want a greater season of relational connection. Maybe you want better financial management. Maybe you want you know, your balance sheet to be better next December 31 than it was this year. Maybe there's some time management. Maybe there's some activities that you weren't able to give yourself to you want to give yourself. I don't know what it is, but that's the language of productivity and forward movement. And your Heavenly Father is very interested in that on a very practical level in all the things of your life. He is worried and concerned and thinks about and cares for how you clothe yourself, how you eat, how you spend your time. And he's very interested in your spiritual development as well. In fact, he brings those things together. So when the Lord takes us on a pruning process, it's very much says to us, you're mine, you belong to me, I'm with you, I care about you. You have to keep this in mind because the pruning process can be an ugly process. Have you ever, have you ever looked at pruning shears? It's a sharp curved blade. And when you squeeze the handle, it brings a cutting edge up close and personal with a razor edge. And it leaves a mark. If you go up to a well-pruned bush that's been managed well over years, you'll see evidence of pruning. It's scarring. But you'll also see vibrant fruit on the edges of that plant. And that's what your Heavenly Father is going to do to you this year. And it isn't because He means you pain. It means that there are, here's our statement, there are some things that are a part of your today that need not be a part of your tomorrow. What things are a part of your today that can't be a part of your tomorrow? That's a good question to ask at the beginning of a year. 
When I first started meeting with mentors, paying them hundreds of dollars to tell me (laughs) what a slob and lazy and ineffective person I was. When I first started meeting with these folks, one of the first challenges we went through was the challenge of not creating a to-do list. I had done that fairly well. In fact, I can make a to-do list better than probably anybody in this room. Very ineffective after a while. The to-do list gets longer and longer and longer. I feel emotionally disconnected. I want to go hide, crawl into a cave somewhere, right? Maybe you feel that way. Maybe you're a little overwhelmed. So one of my first mentors says to me, we're going to spend some time making a to-stop list, a stop-doing list. What he was doing was echoing the principle that Jesus is talking about here. There are some things that so fill your life, they crowd out today. And if you don't cut them away, they'll crowd out tomorrow the fruitfulness and the harvest you want for yourself. When Jill and I started getting serious about money, we had to bring all of our information into one place. That was an exercise. That took a while. It's one of the things that if you go through our Dave Ramsey Financial Peace class, they'll help you to get all your information into one place. And when you think you've got it all in one place, go through all the drawers and files again because I guarantee there's some other information somewhere. But to get it all into one place and you start putting it into categories, you see how broad and wide your money goes. And then Dave teaches you the principle, tell your money where you want it to go instead of letting it tell you where it's going to go. Well, to do that, you got to get rid of some stuff. So you find yourself slashing things, typically like spontaneous purchases, lattes and eating out and entertainment. Oh my, lions, tigers, and bears, right? There they go. Then you start cutting them away, and what happens is as you cut away, you free up space for the other stuff. And for some of you, that was worth the price of admission today. Like get all your financial information in a place, decide where you want your money to go, and decide which things today don't match where you want it to be tomorrow. And you cut them, you prune them, you get rid of them. You can do that with your calendar. Over the last 30, 60, 90 days, what was a part of your today that you don't want, don't have the capacity, couldn't do well at if they were part of your tomorrow? Let me give you some blanks to fill in. As you start a new year, don't be so focused on the urgency of the beginnings that you ignore the necessity of endings. Some of you are running at such peak capacity that to add one or two more things to your to-do list, it's going to be an exercise in futility. And when God wants to develop you and he wants to add to you the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, he doesn't just say, do more, try harder, work greater. No, what he says is, remember the principle, abide in me. This is about a relationship. And as you abide in him, he starts cutting things away. And as he cuts away, it leaves nutrients and space and sunshine can get to the middle of the plant. The middle of your life is light can get in there. And the things that are supposed to flourish now have the nutrients, the space, the sunshine to flourish. But when it's all crowded together, it's very difficult. And at the beginning of the year, one of the things I'm trying to resist is just saying, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to work on this. Like, you can do some of that. But you might have to pay attention to what needs to stop. So number two there, endings are hard but necessary. When I'm talking about endings in the pruning process, it's a cutting. It's a cutting away. 
And the reason those things are in your life typically is because at the moment that they began to be a part of your life, they filled a purpose and brought you some kind of satisfaction. And now you're looking at those very things and saying, I'm not sure that the things that are in my life today are going to put me where I want to be tomorrow. And just that very internal conversation can be so hard that for some of us, we avoid it. Like you don't want to have that conversation. You'd rather be busy and give yourself credibility for being busy than to be effective at the few things you need to be effective at. This is a head game, but it really is a matter of the heart. And your heavenly father and my heavenly father loves us enough that he pushes on these issues. And one of his primary tools that he uses to show us that he loves us is the pruning shear. Where he comes in and he says, I'm going to put you in a situation where you have to confront competing values. One will survive, the other will be cut away. If you're in a marriage, you know what this is like. Competing values. I love my wife, and I'm a very selfish person. You you know this about yourself, or is it just me? Uh, We we had an intern in this church. Some of you will know him. Uh, His name was Matt Reed. And Matt was one of our first interns. I had a chance to hang out with him some this weekend and catch up. And he's married now. When we met him, he was a high school dude. And he was just, you know, kind of a bro and just very cool and fun and lots of activity and very smart. But now he's married. And I said, how's Mary's life? And he looked at me and he said, I'm a jerk. I'm like, you're getting it. There's a chance for you, bro. You you might make it. Because in marriage, you you have to confront yourself, right? In your finances, you're going to have to confront. I mean, if you really want to move forward, you can't keep spending the way you're spending. And if you don't know how you're spending, it ain't going to happen. And spiritually, there are things you're holding on to because they numb, they make you feel good, you forget. Some of them are sins and some of them are just unwise. And you can't hold on to them if God's going to grow you into the person he's making you to be. Now, he loves you. Here's what he's going to do. He's going to keep pushing, pushing, pushing. Like, he's going to be incessant. And you get to cooperate or resist. You get to abide and remain and go through the process or do what a lot of people do, just push it to the back burner. In the old, the old timers call that backsliding. They slide, you slide backwards away from the thing God wants for you. Not, what, what is it? Nobody says, I don't want to be close to God. What happens is, in small decisions over time with big consequences, they've said, no, God, you can't work here. I feel your conviction, but I'm just going to not engage. Or I feel your compulsion, but I'm not going to engage. So endings are hard. This is not the stuff of adolescence. This is the stuff of adulthood. In fact, it's the thing that, very, that marks the transition from adolescence to adulthood. When you put off satisfaction and gratification for a higher goal. This is a challenge we see throughout our entire culture right now. Number three, God has given you a finite amount of time and energy and resources and mental capacity and money. He's given you a finite amount. It's not, well, God's supply is unending, yours isn't. You have 24 hours in a day, 24 hours and whatever portion of a day, so that every four years you get an extra one, right? You understand how that works, but you get a finite amount of time. And you have, to some degree, 
limited financial capacity. You may not have ever thought about it. You have limited emotional capacity. I can tell when my emotional bank account is running low, I get a little snippy, right? And that's not good for a pastor. You don't want to be around a pastor who's like, how are you, pastor? I'm fine. That's not a good church. I mean, you don't want to be here. So I have to manage emotional capacity. But you have a finite. So what happens then, the next blank, good stewardship then of your limited resources, of time, energy, money, requires. It's an investment in your, of your finite resources into the right places in the right proportions to produce the right kind of fruit. I have people tell me often they're too busy to do X, Y, Z. So as a pastor, here's what I hear. You know, we're so busy, pastor. We really want to get back, but we're so busy. And I, I get it. Like there are seasons when that's legit. That lasts about 30 days usually. And after about 30 days, it's not busyness. It's values. I'm too busy to make time for my spouse. You're not too busy. You're not too busy. You have a values conflict. In fact, your calendar isn't about time. You know this yet? Your calendar is your values lived out over time. You're not too busy to do anything God's called you to do. You probably haven't thought deeply, though, about what he's called you to do in this season. You're not too busy. And if you are, what values has God called you to that isn't getting the attention? And now it's time to prune, to bring to an end a necessary thing that needs to go away in your life. What is it? You have a finite amount of time, and good stewardship means that you, as a manager of God's stuff, your life belongs to him. You're a manager. You're not an owner. So good stewardship requires an engagement that is different often than we think about it. So, Number five, holding on to situations and relationships that are disconnected from your values or your calling will prevent you from bearing much fruit. Some of you are in a relationship right now and it's not bringing you spiritual vitality. This is the year to change it or cut it, period. And some of you are spending money in ways that don't honor your family and your responsibility there and your commitment to being a part of what the Lord's doing in a healthy way. And it's time to cut things so that you can honor other things well. And we could go to almost every category of life. You could look at my life and find areas where God needs to do some cutting, and I could look at yours. But the question isn't, what does your neighbor need to do? The question today at the beginning of this year is, what pruning do you think, after some thought and prayer, God would like to do in your life? What is a part of your today that by necessity needs not be a part of your tomorrow? That's how you grow. You bring necessary endings to bear. And sometimes they aren't like finite. People aren't disposable. So there are people in your life, they're not disposable, but the nature of the relationship as it is has to end and a new type of relationship has to begin. I have people in my inner circle and every couple years I think about, are these the healthy people around me gonna push me towards the Lord in a healthy way? And every few years I have to make a decision. I'm gonna love that person. I'm gonna be there for them, but they're no longer inner circle. That's not harsh, Finite amount of time. You can only have so many best friends. A finite amount of time, how are you going to spend it? And continuing to hang out with your college bros, 
while you're married with kids at the same level you're trying to hang out with them. You can maybe get a trip away a year. But every weekend, every week, every night drinking with the buddies, ain't working. Not going to work for your marriage long term. Talking to your girlfriends the way you used to in college, instead of turning some of that emotional energy towards your husband, ain't going to work for you. It's not that they're disposable, but you're going to pull them into a different category. They're no longer the inner circle, now they're friends and acquaintances. Sometimes people, for me, move from the active friend list into the project list. I mean, they're still friends, but now I'm going to help them. We're not peers at the same level right now in this season. That has come to an end. Now I'm going to make an investment. Other times, I become a student. Like, we're peers, but now I'm going to become a student. What endings need to happen in your life? When you figure out some endings, it gives you room to breathe, to dream about the beginnings. Let me give you the last few breaks, uh, uh, blanks, and then we'll pray about this stuff. Number six, the areas of business and life that require your limited resources, but aren't achieving the vision you have for them, they should be regularly pruned to reach their full potential. If you don't prune, and if you don't allow God to prune, if you don't work with God while he prunes, you're just hurting yourself. The problem is pruning hurts because it's a cutting. It's a cutting. And part of the problem is just realizing that thing is no longer good for me and having the guts to call it as it is for yourself. Hard to do, but it's required. And for something beautiful to begin, typically I'm finding something else has to end. Number seven, the wise gardener removes branches or buds that fall into three categories. The wise person, dead branches. Dead branches are taking up space, and when they do, there's no space for the healthy things to grow. Got to get rid of them. So in the spring, I'll grab my chainsaw and I'll jump up into a few trees and I'll, uh, my wife will stand at the window and be very frustrated saying, why didn't we pay this to have it done? And I'll say, be quiet, woman. I know what I'm doing. And I'll climb up into the tree. We did this last year. We went through the process and about halfway through, I dropped the chainsaw right down the leg. And if I wanted to, I could show you a really nasty scar. Then my wife comes out, and she's screaming at the top of her lungs in the front yard, I told you. And she was right. And I had to say, can we talk about this inside? Because I'm really bleeding right now pretty bad. (laughs) But she was right. But I'm going to climb up in a tree, and I'm going to do some pruning so that the dead limbs don't fall at an inopportune time, so they don't do damage, so the yard looks better. It's a good time for you to prune. Sick branches. These are things that aren't going to get well. You've engaged, and you've engaged, and you've engaged, and you've tried, and it ain't working. It's okay for you to call the ball and say, I've spent enough time here. Now, people are not disposable. This is not your marriage. I'm not talking about that. Covenant relationships are different. But it's okay in almost every other arena of life to say, what have I given real effort to to make it succeed? It's not working. Why would I keep spending my energies there? And then number three is the ironic one. Healthy branches. They're good, but they're just not the best one. This goes back to the rose bush. You cut off all the internal branches because you're not going to see those blooms anyway. And when you cut them off, it allows the nutrients from the soil to make its way to the outer branches where the roses will be most on display. But if you leave the inner ones, even though they're good and healthy, you're going to hurt the rest. So you're, 
you have to get rid of some good things sometimes in order to do the best things. The final statement at the bottom is, before you start cutting away, you may want to know the standard and then work towards it. Now, next week, I'm going to share with you some very practical tools and how to start. But it could be that today you need to ask the question, what's in my today that doesn't need to be in my tomorrow? And if you're too busy to do the right things, maybe you need to create a stop doing list. Why don't we grab out our Connect cards and we'll actually move forward right now and try to take a few steps together. So if you've joined us on the first day of the year and you yet don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, I want to give you a chance to do that. Next Step A says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. And I'm going to give you a chance to pray in a moment, but basically say to God, God, I can't do this without you. I cannot save myself. I need a Savior. And I'm going to trust the work you did on the cross and in your resurrection to save me. Or how about Next Step B? Today I'm choosing to be baptized. I think in February already we have six people uh, already lined up to get baptized. Last year we had our greatest baptism year ever. 113 plus adults gave their lives to Jesus and 69 were baptized. And we have six on February. It looks like it's going to be a good year. It's the first time to get baptized here. If you're not yet baptized, if you haven't gone public with your faith, check the box. We'll communicate with you about it and talk with you about it, all right? The next step, see, just a practical thing. Hey, I'll work on my stop doing list. Now, if you check this, I'll send you a little link to some tools on how to make that time effective. And if you're one of those people that thinks about these things, and if you're not, maybe you should, but it'll give you some things to kind of think through, some general categories to work through. Next step D says, send me the link to sign up for Grow, which is step one, right, which is become a member. And that's happening next Sunday in this room between 4 and 7 p.m. So we'll send you the link. You confirm. We know how many people are coming. We have the right amount of food here. If you're not yet a member, if you're our guest, just want to know what's going on with the church, or maybe you took one of the other classes out of order, you need to come to this. This is your first opportunity. There'll be about four or five opportunities this year. This is the first one. So I'd love for you to go ahead and be a part of it. And the next step, E. This goes back to that thing I was talking about earlier. It says, hey, Ben, would you contact me about serving our church family on the security and, uh, and parking team? Would you... Would you go ahead and, uh, and send me that information? And uh, next week when you meet Joseph, if you check this box, between now and then, he will send you an email. So if you're one of those people, and man, I want to specifically challenge you. If you don't have a place where you serve, we could use you. And we'll train you and equip you and vet you, background check you. So just this will sound silly, but if you have a felony, don't, you won't pass. Sorry, that's just the standard. So uh, don't mean to be mean about that. You can email me about that. We'll explain why. But if you don't have a felony and you're an older guy, you know, 25 or older, whatever, and you want to be a part of this, uh, let us know. And we'll be glad to, uh, to help you be a part of our team as we take these initiatives forward, all right? Let's pray about these things right now as we begin our year together. Father, I want to thank you for a great 2017, but I'm grateful to you, Lord, that even more than we are, you're committed to making 2018 great for your good purposes in our lives. And you love us, and you prune us, and you push us, and you mold us, and you shape us. God, I pray that our mindset would be very simple. God, if you want to take me there, I want to go. If you want to cut it, I want to let it go. If you want to add it, I want to add it. God, I want to abide in you. And I pray for those men and women right now who are not yet in a relationship, Jesus, but right now their hearts are turning. They're declaring, Jesus, save me. Wash away my sins. I trust nothing I bring, and I only trust you, Jesus, and the work you did on your cross and in the resurrection. 
to secure my relationship to my heavenly father. Father, I want to thank you so much for a generous church. For people who care about this mission. Some have cared for it for over 13 years. Others have come on board, but they got up to speed real quick. God, thank you for the work we're going to be able to do. Would you make our offering go far and wide? Would you use it, God, to bless people, to change lives, not for our glory, but so that the name of Jesus would shine in North Cincinnati and around the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.